Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. What's going on, everyone? Welcome to the newest episode of the Going Along Podcast. I'm your host, Zach Neal. We've got a really fun episode for you today. I had Dan Rubenstein on, the uh, co-host of the Solid Verbal Podcast. Uh, personally, my my favorite college football podcast, one of my favorite podcasts. He is a former Oregon Duck, um, an Oregon alumni, one of the the top voices in the world of college football media, too. So we brought him on to talk about the Ducks, talk about his kind of history as an Oregon fan and as a you know a member of the media. Uh, look at Dan Lanning. Look at this current team. We really dove into the transfer portal and some of the additions that Oregon made, and then just kind of gave a, an outlook into the twenty twenty four season. So. Really good conversation with Dan. Um, I'm very happy I got to have him on and have a really good chat with him. Before we get into that, just a real quick update, um, just kind of like we did last week too, update on Oregon basketball. Uh, they got a good win over Washington on Thursday night. That was a, a game they really needed. Unfortunately, they lost on Saturday night to Washington State. I believe it was 62-56, to 56, final score for that. That was a must-win game, and they couldn't get it done. Really sloppy game, just really not not very impressive play, especially offensively. So uh, at this point, it's really looking like another NIT is in the future. That is, unless Oregon can run the table in the Pac-12 tournament and you know find the automatic bid there. But their chances for an at-large bid are pretty much out the window now because they were on the wrong side of the bubble coming into this game and then losing to Washington State, who they were tied with for second place in the Pac-12. Uh, that's not something you could um, you know, afford to do, and that's what happened. So for now, let's get into this episode that I recorded with Dan a couple of days ago and kind of focus on Oregon football right now. Thank you for tuning in. Let's get into it. I'm thrilled to be joined today by Dan Rubenstein, co-host of the Solid Verbal Podcast, a show that is personally one of my very favorites. Dan, thank you so much for coming on the show today. How are you? My pleasure, but one of, one of, no, thank you so much for having me. It's, it's the pleasure's all mine. I will say it is the premier college football podcast. There's other podcasts. I don't do, this don't let me sure, guilt you. For don't sure the best college you. football podcast. Where's your backbone, Zach? <laughs> I will find it sometime today. Yeah, yeah. So you, Dan, you're an Oregon Duck, while the I Solid am. Verbal is a, it has a national scope, covers everything from the Big Ten and SEC all the way down to the Patriot League. You have an affinity for the Ducks. You went to the VU of O. I believe you are a graduate from the SOJC, like myself. I am. When did your, first of all, when did you graduate from Oregon? 2005, a simpler okay. time. Yes, a much simpler time. So when did your fandom start? Did you grow up an Oregon fan before going to the U of O? No, I didn't. I grew up in Southern California, and neither one of my parents went to like a football power. My mom went to Arizona. My dad went to Lafayette, hence the uh, the Patriot League. So uh-huh. I just grew up watching national college football. I probably watched more of the LA teams than any. I think 
My first favorite team was probably the, and don't quote me on the year, it was either 98 or 99 UCLA when they had an opportunity to go to the national championship. This is Kate <laughs> McNown era UCLA. Lost to Miami in a postponed game. Edron James ran for like 300 yards. I wasn't a <laughs> UCLA guy, though. Um, I just liked watching that specific team. So, <laughs> yeah, it was it was really, I was a, a helmet fan, right? That I would tune in yeah. and be like, oh, I recognize the Colorado and Michigan helmets. <laughs> oh, I recognize, you know, Auburn. I, I liked Florida State. That was one of the teams mm-hmm. that I went out of my way to watch those uh the Florida State teams in the 90s I was definitely you know Bowden over Spurrier but those games were crazy <laughs> but no didn't grow up an Oregon fan my really my first intro to Oregon was probably kind of America's first intro to Oregon which would have been mm-hmm. the 95 Rose Bowl the 94 mm-hmm. Ducks yep. and I remember buying an Oregon hat at some like outlet Nike outlet in the 90s um because I didn't the the idea of a football team named the ducks was very funny to me when i was you know 11 <laughs> years old um so that was that's when oregon sort of first became on my radar and then when i was applying to schools i knew i, I kind of wanted to, to stay on the west coast ish and mm-hmm. uh it was oregon washington uh colorado i applied to usc and got waitlisted and I, I wanted to go away to college oregon had a like a proper journalism school has a proper journalism school correct and I visited in maybe May, and I was like, this is what it's like all year, right? As wow, a soft yeah. Californian. <laughs> and ended up going to Eugene, struggling for a couple years, like with <laughs> the adjustment and missing home, et cetera, et cetera. But uh, really grew into it. Love my time in Eugene overall. And I would say really became an Oregon fan freshman year, um, <laughs> which would have been Joey Harrington's senior year. A lot <laughs> of fun games that year. But... Even still, because the the last few years of my time as a student weren't great years for the Ducks, I think it was more when I left Eugene and moved back to Southern Mm -hmm. California, where I was sort of an outsider rooting for a team far away when all my friends had gone to USC and UCLA. That's when like the the Oregon identity really kicked in, and we drive down for holiday bowls, and so that's that's when I really got into Oregon. Even though though you know the 2016 wasn't great, 07 was fun until the injury to Dixon. Yeah. Um, that's when it really rounded into form for me when mm-hmm. I felt like, oh, this is a thing that I have that not that many people around here have. It's funny you mentioned the 07 team. I had uh, Jonathan Stewart on the podcast last week, and I had nice. to ask about the, the 07 year because I was a middle schooler in that, mm-hmm. that year. And it was. Are you um, from I, Oregon? Like, yeah, did you grew grow up? up in, okay. Grew up in Eugene, went to school here, went wow. to, to journalism school here. But I, just, I can vividly remember the newspaper article the next day, the Register Guard, the picture of Dennis Dixon crying. It's like, yeah, well, that, that there's a lot of what ifs in Oregon history, but that may be one of the bigger ones. That, and I think that was like the, the big intro because that's what Chip Kelly's first year as coordinator. That's Correct. the big national introduction. You know, Oregon wins the Fiesta Bowl 2001, mm-hmm. but like the idea of Oregon as ahead of the the mm-hmm. the nation in terms of like a fun offense and the speed yeah. and the uniforms and going to Ann Arbor like that was really to me like maybe it's like the the third birth of Oregon football right 94 Correct. in the modern era let's be clear Correct. 94 2000 2001 Joey era and then Dennis Dixon with the the mobile quarterbacks the high flying offenses so 2007 incredible they were no longer uh 2022 TCU they were more of right. a you know a teens Clemson like oh this team has a little bit of staying power not that yes. to that level but they were they're still around so you've watched this program since obviously then early 2000s ish you've kind of known this program then 
Could you have imagined back then that Oregon would turn into this program that they are today with the national brand, the recruiting success, the success on the field, et cetera? Yeah. I I mean, it it seems like, you know, you're talking about like in the early 2000s, could I have imagined this kind of growth? Mm-hmm. I couldn't have imagined the landscape of college football back then, yeah, which that's quite different <laughs> certainly helps to so you know force Oregon's hand in terms of are we going to attempt to be a, a continuous major program or not? And so, mm-hmm. yeah, if you're going to tell me about Oregon in the Big Ten and all of the realignment <laughs> and you know a, a four team playoff and then a twelve team playoff, I'd be like, this is my my head is spinning. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it always seemed because of. Nike because of Oregon's commitment to um, spending and becoming the most innovative program that they could possibly be that it didn't seem like Oregon was going to fall behind for lack of caring both financially (laughs) and competitively. Um, Mm -hmm. I could not have imagined some of the heights considering that like, you know, it was 2001. Great. And then there are you know, 2005, I think, was a pretty... It might have been a 10-1 team, so there were like yeah, four were years. Decent. Yeah, and then 2006 was off. 2007 was interesting. 2008 was fun, but not great. 2009 mm-hmm. got better. I couldn't have imagined the specific Chip Kelly years having yeah. as much success, and I, I don't think I could have imagined that Oregon as a place would have been a winning place uh, regardless, mostly regardless of coach. That, to me, mm-hmm. because... Mike Bellotti's staying power from what early to mid nineties to 2009. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You don't, you don't anticipate that like, Oh, we're going to have a school that goes through a ton of coaching changes, but basically everybody <laughs> wins for the most part and yeah. ke- keeps it rolling. That is pretty rare in the sport, especially when you're not like that legacy blue yeah. blood sells yeah. itself type program. So let's talk more specifically about the last few years then. You've yeah. talked extensively on the Solid Verbal about Mario Cristobal and that era and Eugene. I'm not going to ask you to rehash all of that. I think it's <laughs> fair to say he's an excellent recruiter. He's a solid program builder, and he can stand to improve a little bit on the uh, on-field coaching department. Sure. But, and that's something we've seen in Miami. But So he leaves, and in comes Dan Lanning. We've now, I think, got a big enough sample size to, I think, feel confident that this was a you know, pretty good hire at the very least. In your opinion, what makes and what has made Dan Lanning the right person to take over after Mario and kind of lead Oregon into this new era? I think the operative word with him is commitment, that mm-hmm. he's had opportunities. His name has been thrown around for other opportunities, and his commitment to the program seems to be reflected on the... The literal commitments, I guess, from recruits and the commitment from assistant coaches that have hung around uh, so far, mostly. I mean, Kenny Dillingham, you don't turn down a a head coaching job at your alma mater. But I I think the commitment he has, he's talked a lot about moving his kids around a ton and that he he loves Eugene. And, you know, there's the the shirts now that the the (laughs) grass is damn green in Eugene. Uh Um, And so that's something that, like, even though Mario Cristobal was in... Oregon was at Oregon for four years and that's longer than Mm -hmm. Lanning has been there uh there is I don't think there was the same type of uh outreach from other programs for Mario Cristobal uh Mm -hmm. in the way that you know I think maybe Auburn or you know obviously Miami when it when it came to pass but Dan Lanning has been a hot name when you're able to recruit like he's been able to recruit immediately win you'd be Mm -hmm. sort of hard-pressed to find a new coach coming from the outside that immediately wins double digits, if you include mm-hmm. the bowl game, in his first season, string together the recruiting classes he has. I think this last one was 
third overall third, in the yeah. nation. I know best it's top five. Best in school history, yeah. Yeah, the best in school history, that there's the enthusiasm and the activity in the portal um, mm-hmm. that, look, Oregon loses to Washington three straight times. You know, <laughs> the Oregon State loss last year wasn't great either, the way that uh, the Beavers were able to come back. But there is that sense that this is still just year two of a new head coach. Mm-hmm. And... If you're losing to a team as talented and dangerous as Washington, especially on offense, was, and you're not losing emphatically, and you're losing with beat-up corners, and you're Mm -hmm. losing with opportunities to win that game, multiple opportunities, I I still think there's you know growing pains that both Dan Lanning and Will Stein on offense are going to figure out. Mm -hmm. Um, And when you're that close in year two to going to the playoff uh, with the roster, both uh, assembled from the high school ranks and in the portal, that... It's it's hard not to say Oregon uh, has a shining star at head coach mm-hmm. and that the future seems to be effervescent. So let's talk you. I mean, you mentioned several times there that one thing that Dan's really good at is acquiring talent, both through high school level and through the portal. I want to talk about some of the incoming players and what we've seen from them at a college level. I want to start with Dylan Gabriel. Um, sure. Taking over for Bo Nix is obviously no easy task. Do you think that he's kind of capable? You've seen him in Oklahoma. You have saw him at UCF before that. Do you think he's kind of capable of, capable of being, you know, who Oregon fans want him to be? Yeah. Well, look, it's easier to make the playoff now in the, the 12-team era. It's a little bit trickier in the Big Ten just in terms of depth, uh, both in the middle and at the top. We'll see what happens with Michigan and Penn State, Wisconsin. But and obviously Ohio State is sort of self-evident at this point with what mm-hmm. they're bringing back. Um, Dylan Gabriel is accurate. He is unafraid to go downfield. Uh, he does not have the arm that Bo Nix has, mm-hmm. and that is you know to be seen in terms of what the, the architecture of this offense looks like with both Dylan Gabriel's strengths and weaknesses. He is... Uh, enthusiastic i think would be a word about running um Mm -hmm. when it's there but i don't think he forces the issue and that might especially have to do with the fact that he is more slight than bo Mm -hmm. nicks he is more slight than recent oregon quarterbacks who have been unafraid to go downfield with the ball be it you know marcus Mariota or uh anthony brown certainly a big dude and unafraid (laughs) of contact justin Um, herbert big too (laughs) justin herbert as much but but not yeah not not going out of his way to run especially later on in his career um, Dylan Gabriel has, you know, made some plays with his feet that it mm-hmm. becomes interesting. I don't think they're going to, and by they, I mean, you know, Will Stein, the offensive staff, I don't think they're going to go out of their way to call run plays unless it's mm-hmm. situational, you know, pulling a zone read or something in the red zone, something like that. He's built like he's not lean, but mm-hmm. he is just not as big. And mm-hmm. so I think when you have the running back room that Oregon has, when you have the tight ends that Oregon has, obviously the receivers and the new receivers that Oregon has, I don't think he's going to be asked to do all that much athletically. And so to <laughs> me, it's just going to be a question of accuracy. Oklahoma fans, even though I think he was the unanimous Big 12 quarterback, uh, mm-hmm. first team all-conference quarterback, um, mm-hmm. Oklahoma fans will be quick to point out that his game dips a bit in bad weather, which who doesn't, right? Um, yeah, very true. But as Oregon enters into a new conference where there is likely going to be more inclement weather, you know, in the mm-hmm. back half of the season, I suppose that's something to pay attention to. But I don't know. I think Oregon's offensive balance is going to be at a point where, especially Noah Winnington back healthy, that 
I don't think his job is going to be terribly difficult in terms of having to do everything himself. Mm-hmm. I think the the offensive architecture and the the ceiling of the talent available, you know, Terrence Ferguson coming back, adding Evan Stewart to the receiving core, bringing back mm-hmm. Treshawn Holden and Tez Johnson, you know, maybe more from Kenyon Sadiq and Patrick mm-hmm. Herbert. Like if if the play call is right and the offensive line is where it should continue to be, mm-hmm. I, I think he has one of the easier jobs in the sport right now. I really do. Okay. So yes, I think he's capable of winning the Big Ten and taking this team to the playoff. Okay. So it's August 31st. The Ducks are taking a field in their season opener versus Idaho. Dante Moore comes out as QB1 over Gabriel. What's mm. your reaction? Earned it. Okay. I suppose he earned it. So, you know, the, the Dante Moore, so he is physically in a better place uh, just mm-hmm. because he's, you know, bigger and taller and heavier, I believe, than Dylan Gabriel. Mm-hmm. And certainly Oregon is familiar, having had him as a commitment for a long time and watched him in the conference and... Dante Moore, the best of Dante Moore at UCLA was pretty great. There were some effortless yeah. throws up the seam, up the sideline, you know, you know, dropping balls into uh, just tight spaces, waiting hands, whatever, in rhythm. He was turnover prone at UCLA, as, mm-hmm. you know, I think a lot of true freshmen thrust into that position probably would be. Yeah. Tried to force the issue a little bit much. Talent around him was not as good as what Bo Nix had will not was not as good as what Oregon will have this year. And mm-hmm. so I don't think Dante Moore is going into this, you know, into spring and fall expecting to win and be handed this, obviously mm-hmm. knowing that Dylan Gabriel was brought in. But it, I, I would assume it would be some sort of issue of Dylan Gabriel being nicked up mm-hmm. and Dante Moore being such a no-brainer that mm-hmm. even Dylan Gabriel would have to say, I get it. I yeah. get it. And so that he would have to be, I, I think the the word, the operative word would be undeniable that like mm-hmm. the receivers seem so much more confident with Dante Moore's upside and mm-hmm. his consistency and the the ability to quickly diagnose defenses. I think that's going to be the big difference is just that mm-hmm. Dylan Gabriel has been doing this for years upon years, you know, looking out and seeing cover six, looking out and seeing, you know, different kinds of shells in the secondary where Dante Moore, just the mental reps aren't going to be there. And mm-hmm. so it would have to be some sort of undeniable advantage in terms of accuracy understanding of the offense and diagnosis of the defense short of that you know i I think there's a 93 percent chance dylan gabriel's under center it's kind of interesting i mean for from an oregon perspective when is the last time if ever there's been this situation where it's like oh yeah we've got this perceived starter but you know what this backup might be the guy and you have confidence in both i mean there was the right I was covering the team back in the Anthony Brown's first or second year, Ty Thompson's first year, when there was that quarterback battle going in. It's like, oh, maybe Ty's going to get it. And then it's like, okay, no, that was never really – you don't feel confident in right. either of these guys really as much as you feel confident in both of these. So it's just going to be interesting to play out this year watching this spring quarterback competition throughout the summer yeah. and having some confidence though. yeah, whoever gets this job is probably going to do a pretty good job with it. Yeah, I mean, Oregon has probably one of the three best backup quarterbacks in the country, yeah. which is wild to say. I mean, you look at yeah. where, I guess, Texas is with Arch Manning. Dante Moore has played mm-hmm. a lot more meaningful mm-hmm. snaps than Arch Manning, but certainly the the ceiling, what we think of the ceiling with Arch Manning, makes him one of the more interesting cases there. But yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. And I, I don't know who it is, right? If it's Tyler Shuck, Anthony Brown, if it's, yeah. you know, obviously going back to Marcus Mariota's true freshman year when he redshirted behind 
Darren Dar- Thomas. Thomas. Yeah. That's an incredible situation. That's very um, true. You had Justin Herbert behind um, Dakota Prukop. Yeah, uh, twenty sixteen. <laughs> um, but in terms of a true quarterback battle, yeah, I. Uh, it's been a minute. Like Vernon Adams, like clearly was needed. You know, mm. Jeff Lockie was the incumbent, and that was a battle seemingly in name only after watching mm-hmm. both of those guys that there's yeah. no way that was close in camp. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, like, you know, you can go back to like Brady leaf, Dennis Dixon, <laughs> um, both, both seemingly being good enough to get reps, but neither distancing uh-huh. themselves at first. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, the, the, will they, won't they are it, it, that sort of conversation is generally done away with. As soon as you see the guy who didn't, when like yeah. when Ty Thompson did appear on the field, you're like, mm-hmm. oh, the physical gifts are absolutely there. He has everything, but he was tentative. He, mm-hmm. you know, was sometimes slow processing. And you're like, oh, mm-hmm. he's not fully baked. He's not fully ready yet. And that's yeah. why this other guy won the job. And so mm-hmm. I, I think Oregon's in a, you know, uh, first world 1% problems type uh, quarterback room situation. What a spot to be in. Yeah. The, um, the Evan Stewart edition is very intriguing to me. He seems, I mean, he's a very, very high ceiling, brings a very high ceiling with him, but there seems to be a certain floor that's present as well. We saw him underperform at A&M, be it because of injuries or, you know, whatever. I know that there's been a lot of Texas A&M fans, particularly on social media, that say they're okay with him leaving and, you know, give that, you know, whatever attention right. you want. But could it be so simple as he just needs a change of scenery and then he'll finally see him, his game take off? It could be, yeah. And look, he dealt with sort of a lot of rotation at quarterback, expecting mm-hmm. you know Connor Wegman to be healthy, and Connor Wegman's had his own injury, bad luck, and you know hopefully it works out for Wegman and Texas A and M this season. And so it's Evan Stewart with backup quarterbacks, with uh, coaching changes on offense, mm-hmm. you know, a couple different coordinators, and. Uh, constantly having the head coach and Jimbo Fisher who would call when he was calling an offense would be extraordinarily conservative mm-hmm. um, and not go downfield and not take chances on fourth down where, you know, this is the the devil's advocate side because I'm sure Texas mm-hmm. A&M fans, you know, having watched him a ton probably have some worthwhile points to address about him. You know, I, I think the the knock on him might've been work ethic. Um, yeah. But uh, if, if, all the pieces are in place around him and he has the chance to be the guy a year after Troy Franklin or a couple years of Troy Franklin being the guy mm-hmm. um, that the opportunities there, the quarterback consistency, the offensive coordinator consistency, the running game to open up the pass game. Like it seems Eugene is set up for Evan Stewart and we've seen the ceiling as like a true number one first round type talent that it seems the ceiling is there for Evan Stewart to go absolutely bonkers this year. If, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, w- I won't even say rededicated, but yeah. if if he sort of uh, embraces the role of having the opportunity to be that number one guy that I, yeah, I think the uh, the footballs will fly in his direction. I think the offense will use him as a number one guy and mm-hmm. even use him as a number one guy as a decoy. Um, mm-hmm. to, to sort of attract gravitational attention from the defense. So, yeah, I, I feel great about it. Like, I've, I'm a big proponent of the idea of, I call it winter wonders, of mm-hmm. having those game changers at receiver that alter the way a defense reacts to an offense that sometimes there's just nothing you can do. Sometimes, you know, mm-hmm. you see it in the NFL, you see it in college football where you're just like, hey, it's third and seven. 
Cooper Cup's probably getting the ball, and you're probably not doing much about it because he's going to get 12 to 14. Yeah. Um, and so when you have that type of guy, and we saw mm-hmm. it, you know, when, you know, another new duck, but like when Jabbar Muhammad was able to mm-hmm. lock up Troy Franklin a little bit in the, uh, in the Pac-12 championship game, it changes the way an offense operates. Huh. And so I, I, I could not be more excited about where Oregon's offense is right now. For Evan Stewart, to me, he kind of seems like a, a bit of a cherry on top for this offense. We didn't go sure. into the offseason thinking that Oregon needed, oh, they're losing Troy Franklin. They need a true wide receiver one because you have Tez Johnson. And, you know, Tez Johnson had one of the best seasons yes. in Oregon history last year alongside Troy Franklin with Trey but he's Holden. Slight, right? He is he's... slight, yes. But you you still think that there's some production there and you feel confident that they've got very talented receivers, but then they get someone like Evan Stewart. And like you said, there's um, he needs to show a little bit more. And I think he does have the opportunity to show it in this offense. It just feels like everything, like you said, is tailor-made for this situation. And now he has the real, a real chance to thrive in Eugene. Yeah. And look, it, it puts pressure on the rest of the room when you bring in mm-hmm. a high level receiver transfer, because look, it's Jerry and Dickey has an opportunity to come in and crack a rotation regularly. I know he was dealing with a bunch of injury issues last year, but came into Eugene with a ton of hype. And then you have Gary Bryant there, Trayshawn Holden, Tez Johnson, as you mentioned, um, and then some freshmen coming in this year. Like there is an opportunity, but the room is crowded. Um, yeah. And so that to me, yes, it's a cherry on top thing. But also, like before Evan Stewart, who would you say was Oregon's like? sure thing outside receiver guy yeah, and right. if it's holden he showed it uh mm-hmm. for for he chunks. flashes yeah he showed flashes he had the long catch and run against washington in the pac-12 championship game mm-hmm. physically seems to be there um yeah. but the question i think is with him with gary bryant with any of these guys in the rotation is just consistency and the ability to take on a team's best corner or take on you know a peaking safety all the time and dismiss it and yeah. so that to me is where Evan Stewart's ceiling might be a little bit higher than Treshawn Holden's. Mm-hmm. But yes, it, it could be a situation, and I know you made the comparison <clears throat> to Clemson before, where Oregon's so good there and mm-hmm. Terrence Ferguson is now, you know, up the middle, whatever, that it's mm-hmm. a pick your poison situation. Yeah. Let's flip over to the defensive side of the ball. I'm not sure. gonna ask you to to go through every edition on the defensive side, but yeah. um, you know, what you mentioned, Jabbar, Jabbar Muhammad already, what addition do you think is most intriguing for you or kind of what you think is going to be the most impactful on that side? I've got scar tissue from the injuries at corner against Washington yeah. last year in both games. So you can mm-hmm. never have enough. We saw it with Michigan winning the national championship where mm-hmm. they had three NFL corners, right? And Mikey yeah. Sand was still playing in the slot and Will Johnson, who's back this year, that if they are, I know Julio Florence, I think, had some sort of surgery or procedure. He was mm-hmm. he was laid up. But if Florence is good to go for the season and adding Cam Alexander from mm-hmm. UTSA and Jabbar Muhammad, I, I think it's Muhammad. I think when you have that ability, not that the Big Ten is a conference where week in, week out, you're dealing with the Washington of 2023 where you need to have mm-hmm. that kind of depth. But I, I think having that sort of luxury at corner when Oregon seems to be good at linebacker with Bassa and Justin Jacobs, mm-hmm. uh, they seem to have plugged the whole, um, I forget his name, the Houston transfer. Jamari Caldwell. Yes, Cal- Caldwell. Um, they seem to have the edge dudes, um, and there's going to be at least two or three of the of last year's freshmen that should mm-hmm. step up into the rotation, you know, Amari Washington, whoever it is, um, that I think the corner position 
And we'll see it DB with what's Brandon Johnson and Kobe Savage coming in as well. Correct. Like, I think it's the secondary additions that mm-hmm. are going to be the most meaningful, either in an incredible way or in a disappointing way. So I would say that to me was where Oregon needed to address things and that they did, you know, especially with Muhammad coming in. I, I, I think they knocked it out of the park. We'll see in terms of depth. They've, they've done really well on the recruiting mm-hmm. trail, the high school recruiting trail with DBs these past couple of seasons, whether it's uh, Rod, what is it, Roderick? The, the, uh, Pleasant. Roderick yeah, Pleasant. Roderick Pleasant, um, Dalen Austin, Dalen like Austin, guys like yeah. that. Um, this year, obviously, there's a couple big ones. Um, mm-hmm. And it, it seemed like uh, Martin was going to be the guy that was going to be playing a bunch of different yeah, positions, right? but he <laughs> he leaves for ASU, I believe. Yeah, and um, his dad went to Michigan State. Michigan too. State, yeah. So I would love to see one of the younger guys step in to a to a big role uh, mm-hmm. as well, because uh, it always feels good to have a guy who's been in the system for a year or two. But mm-hmm. again, I, I think the depth is going to be there in a way that it hasn't, especially at corner. We'll see at safety. Um, I think Ed mm-hmm. Williams did a really great job, minus that one play against Washington. Um, <laughs> Just but he did out. a really nice job. He had the big club on his hand, having yeah. Tysheem Johnson back. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think he's probably a better box safety than he is mm-hmm. like a, a center fielder. But Great. again, these are all terrific luxuries to have, especially mm-hmm. if, you know, Blake Purchase, Mateo Uyunglele, take that next step on the edge, mm-hmm. uh, Tatum, Tuioti. Like mm-hmm. the names are there, and not to mention Jordan Birch uh, yeah. deciding to come back. The names are there to have a complete defense, but, you know, you get burned by a thin secondary last year. That's. Yeah. That was the priority. Well, it was cool to hear. I mean, this last week um, on signing day, Lanning did a, a radio interview here in Oregon. He was saying, this is the most talented team we've ever had. I mean, right. what that means, what that leads to, we'll see. There's still a ton of work to be done, but this is the most talent we've ever had on the roster. So I agree with you. Those All those additions are just just really, really intriguing, and they bring such a high upside. Um, yeah. Obviously, you can't talk about the Ducks in 2024 without talking about the Big Ten. You're someone who has quite a bit of knowledge when it comes to how the Big Ten differs from the Pac-12. Can you explain at all You know how you think things will be different for um, unsuspecting Oregon fans in 2024? Yeah, I, I think the lines of scrimmage will be better. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the offensive lines will be better um, than some of what we've seen these past two, three, four years in the Pac-12. I think the quarterbacks are going to be largely worse. Um, which is interesting and provides a really nice opportunity for Oregon. Um, Mm -hmm. I think because of, look, because of the change at what Michigan state, the recent change at Wisconsin, uh, some downturns, um, some improvements. Um, but I, I, I want to say there are too many below average teams for Oregon, not to succeed on a big level immediately that Mm -hmm. there are too many teams that I have no faith. I'm not even making an Iowa joke here. They're like, (laughs) you're going to need, most weeks you're going to need to score 30 to 38 points to beat Oregon with how yeah. explosive I think this offense will continue to be. And when you look at the struggles that Penn State has had on offense against good teams, uh, <laughs> Iowa, Minnesota, Michigan State, Indiana, Purdue, like all of these teams are going to be on Oregon's schedule. Washington's starting over, but I think they're going to have a good offense eventually. I don't know if it's you know the back half of this year or next <laughs> year or something. They'll have a good offense eventually. USC will have a decent, pretty good offense. We'll see who plays quarterback, but you know, I don't think Lincoln Riley is going to have disappointing offenses. No. Say what you will about the defense. Mm-hmm. UCLA, I think they're going to be kind of a mess. We'll um, see. But by and large, 
the Big Ten does not offer. I really like the quote from Dan Lanning saying, like, people ask how we're going to adjust to the Big Ten. It's how is the Big Ten going to adjust to Oregon? Mm-hmm. Um, and so Michigan's starting over on a number of levels. We'll see. They just hired a, a big name former NFL off- uh, defensive coordinator and Wink Martindale. Mm-hmm. But by and large, like, you look at the, the offenses on display here. I didn't mention Illinois, Northwestern. Like, there's just, there are not going to be a lot of teams who are able to, going to be able to score with Oregon unless their defenses are on like Iowa's level. And even mm-hmm. still, I think Iowa mm-hmm. was shut out against Penn State and yeah. Michigan and Tennessee in the bowl. Several game. games. <laughs> yeah. So if you're not, and look, maybe quarterbacks being addressed in a new way, you know, often they hired an offensive coordinator or whatever, but like I just don't think there are teams that are going to have such an overwhelming slant to defensive strength that it's going to force Oregon to win a bunch of 13-10 games. I just don't yeah. see it. So, no, the the Big Ten is interesting. They're just they're very quarter, quarterback thin. Ohio State's starting over at quarterback now with mm-hmm. Will Howard. Um, just it's it's the the thing that I've talked about on the show a lot is show me your combination of quarterback and defense, and yep. you're bringing an incredible looking Ohio State defense and a new quarterback in Will Howard who has a pretty mm-hmm. interesting ceiling, yeah. um, but loses a couple of significant weapons at receiver and marvin mm-hmm. harrison jr and julian fleming noah rogers guys like that they've got yeah. absolutely new guys but show me the passing game show me the quarterback show me the defense and there's just not a lot in the big 10 that checks those boxes i'm not saying oregon's mm-hmm. winning the conference but i'm saying mm-hmm. oregon should have a pretty good time next year so you take when you look at oregon's schedule next year you take ohio state and you get you take michigan off the board what Big Ten matchup are you most excited to see for the Ducks? Just you as an Oregon fan, <clears throat> excuse me, growing up, you just can't wait to see them play this new conference team. Um, Oregon's played Wisconsin a couple mm-hmm. times in Rose Bowls. Um, Oregon has played Ohio State recently a couple times. Rose Bowl mm-hmm. National Championship, the Eugene game canceled. They played in Columbus and won that mm-hmm. game. But 2021? Um, I can't believe they won that game still. Great, great. <laughs> and then no lost to Stanford two weeks later. Um, the Michigan one is especially fun for me uh, because my wife went to Michigan. I'm friends with a lot of Michigan people because of her and because of like our social circle and family. Um, the game's in Ann Arbor, which was one mm-hmm. of the most fun games to watch as an Oregon fan back in 2007. And there, there is something fun about the like, Michigan is like the blue blood in the north, like Michigan and Ohio State. Oregon is like the flashy West Coast team that Oregon, Michigan to me is probably the the game I'll most look forward to this year. I'm going to try to get to it. Um, does Penn State go to Eugene this year or is that next year? I think they that's do not play year. Penn State this year. Yeah, they don't that's play Penn year. State this year. I think that's next year. Um, yeah, I think that's the one. I think Michigan is is the one i'm like that would be a very fun game to have every year or every other year just because there is that somewhat recent history but you have to go back you know 17 years uh for yeah. the last time they played each other so yeah michigan absolutely and those michigan games were kind of i mean we were talking earlier about the the rise of oregon those were a big parts of them i mean yes yeah. those upsets the dynastics and fake fake statue of liberty in the yeah. world of michigan that Look, time. that's when when oregon beat michigan in 2003 in eugene mm-hmm. i was moving into my apartment at ducks village i didn't go to the game um <laughs> could hear the game could hear the odds crowd across mlk mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. i think that's what 
put Jason Fife on the cover of SI. It is. Rich, yep. cool, and four and zero. So yeah, there is that. Like those, those are definitely like steps and building blocks that Oregon has had along the way. Those yeah. Michigan wins, um, even though those weren't the best Michigan teams, um, yeah. it's a, a program where you're like, oh, this would be this would be very fun to uh, to to see this matchup, especially just because of my personal life. Yeah. Last thing. Um, yeah. I know we're all looking forward to spring football returning. What is the thing that you most want to see from Oregon in 2024 in the, the spring season and the spring game particularly? And is there anything that if you don't see it in the spring game or right. you do see that's that's bad, you'll be like, oh, that's that's not great. I I just I love the newcomer, the, the newcomer mm-hmm. stories where you're like, oh, this guy's getting reps with the ones and he's a freshman. Right. Yeah. When you hear that about the Anthony Thomas, when you hear that about Javon mm-hmm. Holland, like mm-hmm. whether it's freshman whether it's a portal guy that coaches are immediately saying like, oh, this guy's something else. We've never had mm-hmm. uh, this position play like this guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we didn't really get to see it a ton because of injury last year with Justin Jacobs, but he was immediately mm-hmm. a thumper at linebacker and difference maker at linebacker at a, a position group that Oregon's needed help at. Um, but yeah, it, it's that newcomer thing, whether it's a transfer, whether it's a freshman, where they just can't keep this receiver off the field. They can't keep this tight end off the field. Um, you know, I, I expect good things from the quarterbacks just because they're experienced. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, that to me is the like, I remember hearing, and I think it was during his red, red shirt year, so it wasn't during spring or fall camp, but I remember hearing when he was a freshman, when he was red shirting, because I think it was a red shirt season, that DeForest Buckner was unblockable. Oh, really? That he was like, oh, no, they they stopped trying to, like, uh, single-team DeForest Buckner with uh-huh. whatever guard or whatever, um, that he was the actual problem. And maybe he just developed into that the back half mm-hmm. of his season. But it was like, oh, this guy is uh, a problem coming soon. Mm-hmm. And I like that. I like those types of stories. Can I give you who I think that's going to be? Please. Spring? Yeah. I think it's going to be Jay Harris, the running back from Northwest Missouri State. Really? I have heard, and it's it's all from, you know, people who workouts? Have, have things to benefit, just about workout size, ability, speed. I've heard some very incredible things about him. So I'm I'm very excited to see what he can do, because obviously you look at his game tape from, you know, a, what, D2 school. D2, and think, yeah. yeah. Obviously, he's going to look like the next Derrick Henry when he's playing against a bunch of high schoolers. But right. um, I'm excited to see what he can do against, you know, actually D1 athletes because he's got the size. He yeah. appears to have the uh, the talent and the speed and the uh, athleticism. But I'm just excited to see what he can actually do on the field. Yeah, and it'll be interesting to watch with what's, let's see, Oregon's replacing center and right guard, I believe. Correct. Correct. So Marcus Harper's back at left guard, Connerly and Cornelius on at the tackles. And so if they don't drop off, and there will be some drop off from the Remington award winning center, yeah. but if they don't drop off and are still a crazy efficient and successful and explosive running team, so it'll mm-hmm. be Jordan James getting, you know, the first carries. Yeah. But if they are having that much success and you know Whittington's a little bit of a change of pace because he seems mm-hmm. like he's a little bit more east-west. Jordan James just sort of attacks lanes, he just runs north. Um, and that Jay Harris has that opportunity, and I'm trying to remember who else is in that room. I know they bring in a freshman, maybe Riggs. They've um, got Jaden Lamar as well. Jaden Lamar comes and back. Dante and he, Dowdell transferred out to Nebraska. To Nebraska, yeah, yeah. So Jay Harris will be interesting in terms of like a closer, right? To close mm-hmm. out the first half 
on mm-hmm. like a long four minute touchdown drive before halftime or mm-hmm. somebody at the start of the fourth quarter to start wearing down a defense. If the offensive mm-hmm. line is mashing and you are grinding out yards, you know, up 17 that mm-hmm. I think Jay Harris could op- occupy that role if picks up the offense. I, I, I don't know how much he weighs, 220 pounds, 230. He's, like he's yeah, a bigger back around there. Yeah, he's big, yeah. but he's like six, one, six, two as well. Right. He's right. He's big. So he's sort of LeGarrette Blunt sized. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't think he's going to ascend to a feature back in this offense, yeah. but he has the opportunity to be um, a contributing depth piece situationally, mm-hmm. and that's that's great. Whether it's a goal line, that's great. Awesome. Yeah. All right, listen to it there, Dan. Um, thank you so much for coming on talking with us today. I encourage everyone to go check out Solid Verbal with Dan and Ty Hildebrandt. I'm really not trying to be a kiss-ass here when I say it is my <laughs> favorite podcast among the best college football podcasts out there. <laughs> Dan, is there anything else people can do to support you and check you guys out? No, the Solid Verbal Podcast. Um, I don't know. I post pictures of pizza and have a pizza account yes, you that I do I'm, love to <laughs> to make pizza. <laughs> yeah, I, I've gotten very dorky into that. I actually am now starting a sourdough culture. I'm such a like really a, yeah oh yeah I'm insane. Well, I love that you got Ty into to making the pizza. I did get well. Ty into that's, pizza that's making. Co-host Ty. Um, no, that's it. Go Ducks. Uh, still sad about the Pac-12 dissolving. Um, as a West Coast guy living away from the West Coast, it'll still be cool if you know I can walk to Oregon Northwestern or you know have a quick drive to to Madison. I think they're in Madison this year, right? Oregon. Yep, yep. So Pretty that's not a terrible. That's like an hour forty. Um, that's not bad. Yeah, Ann Arbor is about three and a half four. Um, okay, but. Yeah, my responsibilities with the show means I, I should probably watch as much college football as possible. So it <laughs> yeah. makes it difficult. But I'm going to try for Ann Arbor this year. No guarantees. Okay. Well, that's great. Maybe we'll see you out at uh, one yeah. of those games because I plan to try and get to as many games this year as I can as well. So excellent. thank you again for coming on. I really appreciate it. Talk to you again soon. My pleasure. All right, let's do it for us today. Um, I will be back with you guys next week at some point. I don't know what the schedule currently is, but... Um, maybe next week we'll do, we'll dive more into this basketball team and, um, kind of figure out what needs to change going forward. But, um, in the meantime, you know, thank you again for, to Dan for coming on and, and giving us a breakdown of Oregon football. Um, thank you guys for listening and following along. You can check out more of my work. You can find it all at duckswire.usatoday.com. Follow me at Zachary C. Neal on Twitter. We'll talk to you guys next week. Until then, take it easy.